It's the Luminaries with David Odyssey. This time, the astrology of the millennial icon to beat, Miss Lindsay Lohan, with special guest Hilton Dresden. But first, a recap of all of my Pride adventures. Thoughts on Broken Embraces, A League of Their Own, Carl Nassib, North Star, Respectability Politics, and a lot of other gay gibberish. Listen, you've come this far already. Keep listening. Wow. Hello and welcome back to heaven. So, by the way, I have decided, I decided last week that this podcast was going to go bi-weekly, which is like, okay, um, let's see how long that lasts. I, I'm, I'm too addicted and too excited. Uh, to quote Jake Gyllenhaal, I wish I could quit you. Okay, so to begin, I want to say that I did watch an episode of that new Netflix documentary series about the history of pop music and... As one could expect from a Netflix documentary series, I don't think it's very good. Uh, I think, of course, I skipped straight to the episode about Sweden, and I was clocking details that they had missed, um, which is not a good sign, okay? By the way, it's always going to be hard to do a documentary of any kind on ABBA because uh, Benny, Bjorn, uh, Agneta, and Annie Fried are the most private people on the fucking planet. So, anyways... Yeah, they just missed some details, um, and I also just found it to be very straight. Okay, I have to say something mean. I was at a, like, a BLM rally slash drag performance, and it was amazing, and the lineup was all black trans uh, drag performers, and it was, like, it was so fucking good. I, it, it was in a park, it was free, the audience was people of all ages, like, they really nailed it. Okay, I'm just gonna say this, like, the whole thing was introduced by what I think was a straight man. He may have been gay, and if he was, I don't really think that was fixing any issues. And it was very, like, the let the man speak. And it was like, of course, as soon as they handed the mic over to um, Jet Black, who's... Uh, sorry, Jet Gray, who is a, like, beloved uh, Brooklyn performer, it was great because she's a trans woman, she's really in touch with kind of the whole spectrum of human emotion, suffering, joy, oppression, liberation. All right, this is, I'm going to get in trouble. For, I just, I was like, you know, it's a pride event and, like, having, like, it, it, it just felt very punishing to have, like, the man talk, okay? All right, all right. Um, pride for me to begin I went to go see uh, frequent luminaries VIP Dexter Driscoll uh, as uh, they were DJing at Rock Bar in the West Village which uh, required and necessitated a Friday night of pride walk through the West Village okay I don't know what's going on in New York right now. I don't know what happened to straight people during the quarantine. I don't know what was going on for those many months, those dark months. There is a distinctly satanic energy afoot upon this town. The West Village, and I know Tommy O'Malley is listening to this, we have agreed for a while that um, Washington Square Park is a nexus of dark uh, energies. The West Village is approaching Ghostbusters uh, vortex levels. Those people were not well. 
okay? Something is not right, and I don't know how many dinners at uh, Rosemary's can change that. I'm just putting a warning out to all of you. And of course, Ben Leary, uh, two-time guest, you know, said, listen, Bushwick is also demonic. And I said, yes, but those are gay demons. You know, at least we know how to battle those. I don't really know how to vanquish these other ones. Um, Dexter played Love is Free by Robin. Talk about someone out there doing actual work to save this community and this country. Okay. Saturday, I went to Superfine. I will say that I am sick of having to schlep around Brooklyn, so I got myself a Lime moped rental subscription. I prefer that to, to Revel because I think the helmets are more chic. Um, and I cruised for a bruising, but I made it to Dumbo where I saw uh, the Dauphin of Bush Bushwick, Tyler Ashley, and uh, number one Luminaries guest, Charlene Incarnate, perform. And I felt weeks of pain released. Um, I cried uh, during um, Peace of Sky by Barbara Streisand from the Yentl soundtrack. I really cried. Um, Charlene did um, Be Prepared from The Lion King, Jeremy Irons' version. And like, whoa. It was really profound. On Sunday, I went to, El not elsewhere, where did I go? The Knockdown Center for the Bushwig Bubble Tea Yes Mama Consortium. It was really beautiful and healing. And I realized, like, this is what, what happened. Uh, Hannah Lu played the set of a lifetime, and she played, among many other things, Who's That Chick by Rihanna. Who's That Chick is one of the greatest songs of the 2010s. It is... Um, maybe the song of the 2010s and i i danced so hard to that song that i sweat through the bathing suit i was wearing i i i came alive in a new way and i realized like what rihanna says in that song which is i just want to dance i don't really care I'm really feeling that. I'm realizing when I'm out, I actually have no desire to make conversation. Between this podcast and all the writing and all the readings, I am kind of talked out. And right now, all I want to do is dance. So I'm kind of re-consecrating that and I'm kind of putting myself in a new perspective, which is like, I need to be out every weekend and I need to be dancing. And as uh, Melissa Rich said, you know, going to a party like the Carrie Nation is gay. Going to Bushwig is queer because at Bushwig, okay, they played Nina Sky. Okay, that's queer. Obviously, Chiquitita, uh, Pantera Lush, um, Dynasty. Um, I think there's a new queen called Bodiquiera. Fuck. She did Florence in the Machine. And let me tell you, if you're going to do Florence in the Machine, you better mean it. And. It was up there in the top two Florence and Machine drag performances of my life. Uh, the first being 2016 when I saw Detox in full Wicked Witch garb do... Um, what is What did she do? Um, say my name. And I, I did cry for that too. Um, so if you hear any... It's, it's ice clinking and clacking in my giant swell. Okay. I feel i will say the sober update is that i made out with uh someone 
very dreamy on the dance floor and I haven't had that happen in eons first of all but also like what was great was that because I was sober it was like what I wanted and I was like in control of how much of it I wanted and it was a full body high so I I will say that like despite all of my despair uh I do think this bodes well. Okay, what else What else do we have to get to? Yeah, what is the note here is straight people in West Village, Satan. Okay. All right, I just want to say something. You know, this podcast started as an interview podcast, and currently it's like kind of that kind of an astrology podcast and kind of me just talking. I am getting the sense that um, my... My ostensible uh, self-presentation is not, nor never will be, fixed. You know, as Veneno says, I'm a traffic light. I know that I do astrology and tarot right now, but I don't know that I am that or any one thing, and I don't know what I'll be a year from now or two years from now or even six months from now. So I just want to say, like, it's very important to me that I'm surrounded by people who are okay with me going through multiple incarnations and who don't um, who don't judge me as I was uh, or hold me uh, to some standard of what I am presenting now. This is a constant revolution, and I'm very grateful to you for listening because I feel like you're with me. Um, and let me just say from the bottom of my heart, I'm with you, okay? Um, so thank you for being here. Okay. Speaking of incarnating, Carl Nassib is gay. You know, I'm a broken record at this point, but we just really need to understand what coming out means and which closet we are exiting, okay? Because, as I always say, there are hundreds of closets that a person has to come out of in a lifetime, Um, Coming out as gay when you're a gun-owning Republican NFL member who lives in Las Vegas and who looks like that, it is major. It's a huge step. It is not to be um, dismissed, but, you know, it's – this is a spectrum. What I want to say that I I don't feel resolved about are two previous instances – And forgive me if I get any names or details wrong. You know, when Brian Collins, who was an NBA player, came out, he got all this support from all of these, like, high-ranking basketball players and blah, blah, blah. I thought that was bullshit because if all of these people had been so vocally supportive, he would have come out many years previous. They were only supportive after the fact, which is to say when it was easy for them, and it didn't really change anything. So I just want to put that out there like these sorts of stories you really need to watch out for who's like rushing to be supportive which by the way i also don't want to be something that i find really disgusting about our culture is when people have to respond to their silences which is to say christina aguilera silent after britney spears testimony no one has to say anything okay no that i'm not saying that i'm just saying like you know 
Kevin Feige, who's the head of Marvel, there's all these interviews with him when Captain Marvel with Brie Larson came out where he's like getting celebrated for like doing a movie about a woman. And it's like, you could have done a movie about a woman at any point. You know, Marvel had been going for uh, a solid 11 years up, up till that the point of that movie's release. So it's not really about like that. It's actually like you were complacent. That's okay. We can recognize it. You're. It's good that you're making a change now, but I don't want to like just pretend like, oh, this is so convenient. Okay. The second thing that, that I want to say with this is that I think that when Michael Sam, the football player, came out um, and he famously did not get recruited to any NFL leagues after that, I actually don't fully blame the NFL people who didn't like put them on on their team. I actually think this is the media's fault because the media made it so that it's like a double bind, which is to say, if you were to bring this person on your team, you're then putting yourself in a compromise where if he does bad and you fire him, if you yell at him, if he uh, is a shitty player or whatever, it means you're homophobic because the media turned this into a narrative where everyone has to love this person. So it's actually not true equality. It's this like uh, overcompensatory pedestalization, which then makes it also so that everyone has to pretend to like him, but no one is actually going to step up for him. I almost would have preferred, I can't believe I'm saying this, but you know, in a less, um, in a less out era, I think the people in the NFL who are homophobes would have at least gotten to openly be homophobes and then we could identify them. Now everyone can pretend to not be homophobic but while at, by their actions being fully homophobic. I don't know if this makes sense. You know, my favorite podcast, Cerebro, just did an episode on North Star. Classically, I think in 2011 or maybe 2014, North Star, the X-Man, the first gay superhero, the gay X-Man, was married. And now the character is in basically a creative prison because he's married for no reason other than gay marriage, yay. But there's no opportunities for stories. The character's boring. Um, No one cares about his husband. But Marvel can't divorce them or kill either of them off because that would be homophobic. So it's just this like really weird respectability politics thing that actually like it's this idea, these ideas of gay progress that are actually inorganic to the reality of what's going on and that don't allow for like an actual discourse and that don't allow for messiness. Unfortunately, progress does require messiness and these like, the idea that the media is this like arbiter of what's right and wrong is totally whack and is throwing everything totally out of balance. Um, the kind of natural progression and evolution is uh is off the media is not useful by the way this is totally becoming a trump podcast do you hear me um i just want to say like (sighs) you just need to the reason why drag is so important and by, by drag i mean like drag drag is because drag exists outside of a moralistic atmosphere and drag queens can do whatever the fuck they want because you can't tell them anything. And that's actually queerness. And gayness are these, like, weird rules and standards. So I'm just kind of, like, not... Not, okay? Um, Sorry, I did not expect that to happen. Um, 
I will say on this note, by the way, the day that Mercury went uh, direct, the day that Mercury Retrograde ended, Loki on the, the TV show Loki revealed that he's bisexual. <sighs> it's great news. Of course he is. Of course, Mercury is Loki. Mercury is the trickster, is a trickster god. Um, look, we need to have... Um, a bisexual character saying that they're bisexual in isolation is not really interesting. He needs to interact with other gay bisexual characters, etc. And then what do we have? A discourse. Okay. Um, the Britney Spears thing... I, I think I need a few more weeks to take it in because it was so disturbing and so dissociating. Obviously, I recommend you listen to The Astrology of Britney Spears, the episode I did with Dexter Driscoll. Um, but I'm just like, oh, uh, God, it's so... It's such a microcosm of everything that this... It, it, it's just like the next level of the Brett Kavanaugh sentencing, it, not sentencing, the, the reverse, uh, the Brett Kavanaugh trial. It's just this, this nightmare, this platonic nightmare of all the ways that authority and capitalism are like truly, um, crushing. Uh, and, and you know, I'm writing an article right now about Pluto and Capricorn and Pluto is the destroyer. Capricorn is the sign of authority. And we're just going through so much of this. These these revelations, obviously, like with the with the tombs uh, of the Native American children in Canada, et cetera, et cetera. These revelations uh, of of this like these long histories of cruelty. So, um, oh, I should I should write about Britney Spears in the Pluto article. Okay, um, I will tell you. Um, so I watched Broken Embraces again, which is uh, another in the Hodorov not Hodorovsky, the Almodovar canon. I don't think it's the best. It's not the worst. Uh, and Penelope Cruz naturally is, you know, Taurus. Hello. She is the most beautiful woman in the world. Um, what I love, sorry to go more on my respectability politics rant, what I love about watching Spanish queer content, so Almodovar, Veneno, etc. I love the way that they use the word uh, maricon, faggot, uh, just like very openly. I obviously understand that it's used as a sl as like a slur, but the way that it's used in the in this media is like kind of faggot to faggot or like fag hag to faggot in this very like it's so anti-respectable that it makes me laugh because it's like, oh, finally. Like, we're calling a spade a spade in this way that, like, I just, I do think we're going to be getting in the United States one way or another, and I, I kind of would rather it this way than than, than the other way. Um, I did watch A League of Their Own, starring Aquarius, Gina Davis, who you know I'm obsessed with. I think she looks like a Jerry Ordway illustration. Um, this is, I think, the only movie in which Madonna really connects with the camera. You know, Madonna, we'll talk about this in her episode, which is coming up, but Madonna is incandescent in this movie. I, I don't know what Penny Marshall did, but they just, like, really click together. 
Um, and she just like hits her marks in a way she rarely does with scripts and dialogue. Obviously, Madonna's like one of the great music video artists of all time, but that's because she's being Madonna when she has to be a character. I don't think it goes so well for her because she's a pure Leo. We'll talk about that more later. Um, I do want to say great drag name from A League of Their Own is Marla Hooch. A League of Their Own stars the actress who plays Brenda's friend on Six Feet Under, who's also a therapist, who tells Brenda that the, the way she lost all her weight is by doing speed. I love Six Feet Under. Okay. Um, I saw, with dear friend Emily Olcott, I saw a French gay movie called Summer of 85, about two beautiful gay boys who fall in love and ride motorcycles. What I loved was that one of the boys is apparently Jewish, which is like, oh, now we know this movie's a period piece. It takes place before the French got rid of all of their Jews. Okay. Um, yeah, that's probably all I need to cover, right? Yeah, you've really been through it. So cancer season continues and it's going to be, it's time for Lindsay Lohan, naturally. Um and I, I think July is going to be a little more peaceful, I hope at least. Um, I'm just, I'm, I'm hanging on here. So I'm hoping that I can start taking better care of myself. Um, thank you for listening. And I will see you on the other side. Today, so I'm not super well-versed in the cosmos, although I am very spiritually inclined towards Luna and the stars. But if I can just say this off the bat, today feels really important because, Mm. well, two things. One, 50-year anniversary of Blue by Joni Mitchell. And to Meryl Streep's birthday. And I know I was just listening to you. So like, there's a lot to talk about in regards to, you know, the over perhaps (laughs) overlauding of Meryl at times. But I, I don't care about that. I love her. I celebrate the way that you have... The way that you affirm Meryl and Sarah Jessica Parker, who are these kind of like (laughs) paragons of the gay community, so much so that when that gays want to like take them down. And I do affirm you being like, no, I'm not basic. I actually know what I'm talking about and we have to celebrate them. And like, you don't tell me who to be postmodern and cynical about. I do want to like... not congratulate but like I do think that that's like a very powerful thing to do no that's sweet of you because yeah I'm not basic and yet if you look at the stats you might think on paper I could be (laughs) based on again the Meryl the Sarah Jessica and frankly I mean not to dig a knife into the wound but the Glenn Close of it (laughs) listen I am sorry what For what I have said about Glenn Close, I really want to clarify. Uh I think she's fantastic. I think that the way that gay people talk about her is elder abuse. And I do think, like, (laughs) let her do whatever she wants. And if she wins an award, that's fine. But the way that gays, like, have their eyes on her, I don't know that it's necessarily healthy. 
Of course. No, and and two two quick things, because um, obviously <laughs> there's so much else to get into. But one, um, I met her and I interviewed her once, and she was really nice, and she had her mm. dog. And so uh, you know, once I am loyal to someone, I'm loyal. Two, mm-hmm. she should have won for Hundred and One Dalmatians an Oscar. That's the truth. That is the three. Truth. I would love to get into the Oscars. Because I know you have a lot of thoughts there. And I know you do too about this particular, uh, the subject of today's discussion and discourse. Oh yeah, you've done your research then. Um, well, and you, you've mentioned it to me before. And I've told it to you. (laughs) uh, You have some, you, well, you have classically, uh, anyone who is um, benighted and is not following Hilton's work, uh, Hilton is on a contemporary level in 2021, pushing forward the discourse on the way the Oscars works and how gendered the Oscars are. That's one. But uh, to pull back, Hilton has expressed to me to just jump forward. uh, You have views about Lindsay Lohan and a certain role that you think she should be nominated for. And I'd love to just start there. Well, it's funny because I would actually suggest roles instead of role. Thank you. Being a keyword. Uh, so you've heard of the film, The Parent Trap, co-written and directed by Nancy Myers, a great, you know, I'm pretty sure Nancy Myers has Oscars. So, you know, it's just, <laughs> in fact, I'm, I'm trying, I thought I had everything pulled up, but I don't, but Does so okay. I'm going to find out. But what I want to say is... Lindsay Lohan should have two Oscar nominations from the film Parent Trap, in which she played two different distinct roles with their own personalities, not just their own accents. She should have one, I believe, and I'm actually, you know, I'm kind of deciding this right now on the spot, but I think she should have one lead actress for Hallie. That's the Napa character and nominated in lead as well for annie british where she did a great british accent but i I just think hallie you know like to find the nuance in that when it's so close to kind of her real i mean she grew up in new york i understand but yeah i just i'm giving it to hallie i'm just making that call Nancy Myers, I just checked, actually was nominated for an Oscar because she yeah. wrote the screenplay of Private Benjamin, which is iconic. Haven't seen um, it. It's like, you know, you watch a Goldie Hawn movie and you're like, oh, no one can ever top you. It's just one of those where you're like, okay. oh, no one will ever be you. Okay. Oh, so she's playing like a female military She plays a Long Island Jewish American princess who enlists in the military. (laughs) And it's just like the script, you don't really need a script. You like it's just Goldie Hawn like doing push-ups and like (laughs) you're good. It sounds like Cadet Kelly, but okay. Oh interesting about Hillary. Okay. Okay. Wow, wow, wow. So we are really going into this kind of juxtaposition of old Hollywood versus Disney. (laughs) Um, So before we jump in, I do want to know like what your saga is with Lindsay Lohan. What is your kind of um, story here? Yeah. Well, okay. I'll keep it, you know, succinct, succinct. 
because there's a lot to cover. <laughs> but um, I, as I've mentioned previously, loved the parent trap growing up <laughs> and consider that to be honestly. And I hope you don't think I'm using flowery language. I would call it top five movies ever, maybe for me, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because oh, I just I think it. it's really good. And, and um, Mer- wait, now I'm so embarrassed. The, the stepmom is named Miranda, right? Uh, Meredith. Played Meredith. By oh my God. Meredith Blake. Oh my God. That's I'm okay. Embarrassed. Don't, don't, you know, if you can edit that out, but <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's so good. Chessie and the butler in his speedo and Dennis Quaid Hot, and, yeah. and is it Natasha Richardson? It is. is, that the mom? is. Yeah. Yes. So it's all just really good. And I mean, I come from divorce myself. Both of my parents have been divorced twice. Not that it really did much to me. I'm fine. But, but yes, I just really connected with it. And then obviously fast forward just a few short years and Freaky Friday is equally impactful. Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm. And then obviously Mean Girls is one of the greats ever made, I would say. And then the rest of her work, you know, I liked Life Size a lot. I liked some of the other things, but I haven't seen all of the, the flops. But right. I I can hold those three up as mm. like three of the best movies ever. And and we'll get into the rest of the filmography, I'm sure. But that's and so then I was an RA in college and we had to choose floor themes, and I chose Lindsay <laughs> Lohan as my floor theme. So I had all these like pictures of her on everyone's door. I actually got in trouble for it because she was like, you know, like there, it was kind of referencing drug and alcoholism. Oh, spare me. I know. Fuck them. They tried to fire me at the RA world. They didn't succeed, (laughs) (laughs) but someone who wanted to be fired got fired. I will say that. Anyway. So that's basically the, the nuts and bolts of me and Lynn's. Great. Um, There's a lot to be said. So I'm going to show you her chart and you don't need to know anything with this, but this will give us a little bit of a visual reference. This is what's going on with Lindsay's chart off the bat. Okay. Yes, it is cancer season and we are dealing with a cancer son. I'm, you know, I love that about her, but Lindsay Lohan is a Gemini rising. What does that mean? (laughs) I consider Gemini to be the teenager of the Zodiac. Mm -hmm. Gemini craves experience. Gemini um, really is like, kind of doesn't have much of a moral or ethical underpinning. Gemini is really just about like, okay, there's a drug at this party. Let me try it. Like it's very much like, there's not um, much of a base. And that's what's also amazing about Gemini is Gemini gets goes out into the world. Gemini is all about self-expression. Great, great, great. Uh, Gemini is all about meeting people. Great. A Gemini rising, to me, some part of their story is going to involve a perpetual adolescence. It is going to involve the either... Mm. Uh, finding closure or resolving a perpetual adolescence. In Lindsay Lohan's case, 
we see that her ascendant is really at the very end of Gemini, which means to say her chart doesn't begin with Gemini. It actually is at the very tail end of Gemini. Gemini occupies her 12th house of karma, closure, and self-undoing. So to me, there's something really interesting going on here, which is that she is this paragon of adolescence and she represents both sides of that. She represented the dawning of the millennial adolescent in popular culture. And she also represents the downfall of the millennial, millennial adolescent in pop culture and the lessons and closure that she has to experience in life are about that. A Gemini rising to me is often someone who has been robbed of a natural adolescence and one way or another is going to be playing it out through life. And when we look at this 12th house, which is very karmic, she has to bring closure to the themes of adolescence. So I just wanted to start off there because that's kind of her off the bat before we even get into the sun and the moon, you know? Right, right. No, I think that's really fascinating. Um, because of course she's, you know, she's the adolescent. And, and I think the media cycle and all of that, which I know you're very cognizant of, has really kept her in adolescence in some sense. Like she, she never kind of has been able to be an adult past what she was as a teenager. So it's also, it's very fascinating to hear that Gemini is the teenager of the science. Yes. And she has her Lilith and her Chiron in Gemini. Uh, Lilith is the exile. It is the female. It is the woman's sexuality that has been mm -hmm. kicked out of the Garden of Eden. It mm. is the uh, social exile coming for revenge. And Chiron is the wound. It's the wound that uh, is transmuted into healing. So it's just really interesting to me because Gemini doesn't really have a lot of an ethical code. Gemini is an air sign and it's just kind of out in the world. And I really think there's this thing going on with her, which is like, she just... Gemini is also very much a Cassandra. It's very much like if you think of Azalea Banks, I mean, I've written about this, but like, oh. Azalea Banks is a Gemini and often Geminis are like, okay, I'm just telling the Donald Trump, Kanye West. It's like, oh, I'm wow. just, they're speaking to the truth of the time. And often they get punished for being the messenger. Gemini is ruled by Mercury, which is the messenger God. So with Lindsay, I'm like, it's a really profound Gemini influence in her chart, which is like, you know, she is what you want her to be. And then when she represents the truth, which is like, I'm a child star, you fucked me up. You've turned me into paparazzi sensation and I'm going to now live that lifestyle. She then gets punished for it. And there's mm. this aspect of like, why are you punishing me for like doing exactly what is, what you've, what you've, um, set for me to do you know what i mean yeah yeah well that okay so gemini i have always kind of i just think of like the two-faced kind of idea of you yes. know it's the twins right so so i have always kind of thought gemini's and again well not again but i i know some really great gemini's but 
I think they're kind of associated with a certain craziness, if yes. I may. Yes. And, but but he, listening to what you just said about how, you know, they tell the truth and then are punished for it. I almost am now reconfiguring that two-faced idea to be uh, one face is the face that is seen. And again, that the rising is that to my understanding, yes. but then the other face is the face that is the truth. I don't know. Maybe I'm yes. kind of making no, this I up. I love that. I love that. You know what I mean? I like love Lindsay, that. I, yeah. She just, she just, she, her whole life has been painted for her by, you mm. know, the journalists. Mm. Sort of. What's interesting, I love what, what you're bringing up because the reason that, this is what I have to say about Mean Girls. Okay. I saw Mean Girls on Broadway. I did not pay for the ticket. Uh, oh, same, I got to see it for free. Great. Same. Seeing that show on Broadway, and I'm sure that the actress who played their lead role is a lovely person, mm. but mm -hmm. the reason that Mean Girls works as a movie, the reason that it clicks is because Lindsay has a dark side. The reason the movie works is as you're watching it, there's on a Winona Ryder level, I think there's a real seduction that's happening where you don't know if Lindsay's character is going to go to the dark side or not. And when I saw the, the Broadway show, it was a very chipper, cheerful, all-American girl. And I didn't really get that duality. How do you feel oh, about this? Okay. This is so huge and brings up so many things. The first and the most important being Mean Girls has been praised for its screenplay by Tina Fey, which is brilliant. Yes. And, and by and for Rachel McAdams performance as Regina George, one of the great performances of all time, and even Amanda Seyfried, you know, but yes. none of it would be anything without Lindsay D. Lohan at the <laughs> studio, which I just found out her middle name is D, D-E-E. -E. And, <laughs> and you're completely right that the, because the, the whole tension of the movie really is Will Katie be, um, what's the word, uh, dragged down into becoming a mean girl mm -hmm. and, you know, brought to the dark side. And Lindsay is perfect because she can do both so compellingly because at the end of the day, and this goes back to Parent Trap and the double nominations. Yes. She's a character actress as much as she is a leading lady. She can do extreme characters i'm sorry but it's just true and yeah. and it gets packaged in this glossy way where you know it's been dismissed to the teen choice awards when this should actually be in the academy award conversation and one quick thing i have to say is i'm a winona woman as well yes and i I heard that you just watched Edward Scissorhands rewatched and I'm a huge Edwardian uh, fan of that movie, not the. the right. You know, and, and Winona, Winona, who I believe is a Scorpio, what Winona mm -hmm. even brings to Edward Scissorhands, that role is very like 
princess baby doll innocent but you know that winona has a has the darkness mm. so then the reverse you know it, it creates a subversion and a reversal and i think that's what Lindsay offers and i think people loved that and were delighted by that but i also think that she was coming into her womanhood in the age of george bush in a very moralistic era mm. and this is really her Lilith to me, which is, okay, I can be this teen icon who represents a generation that really does, really is flirting with darkness. Like our generation, which is the Pluto and Scorpio generation is really flirting with abuse, manipulation, surveillance, um, the rise of social media, you know, and also we're a generation where it was like emo music, people, you know, cutting that sort of thing and uh -huh. she i think really did speak to that and then she got punished for that you know i think it's absolutely yeah well it's really complicated and something that's coming up i'm just thinking out loud here but so with winona and Lindsay, there's what they brought to the role already just because of who they were and because of how we did see them in the tabloids and whatever mm like the the darkness that you're talking about that we know they're capable of versus I, I guess i'm just wondering what of that is just from their celebrity that we automatically have these assumptions about them in the roles versus what is in the performance itself and i think mm. what's brilliant about both of these girls unlike other celebrities where you know they're great but maybe they're you know, we bring a lot of preconceived ideas about them to watching them in a, a performance that actually maybe isn't so nuanced. But I think with Lindsay and Winona, they're also performing a, a mm. whole range of different sh 50 shades of gray. Yes, yes. Um, I think that that versatility which is very gemini and very gemini rising is very much um very present and i also think you know Lindsay has jupiter in pisces which is okay its home domain jupiter is i think about jupiter as kind of an embodied wisdom and jupiter is kind of like this abundance where the light is able to shine uh, and synthesize a lot of your gifts and Jupiter's in Pisces. Pisces is the cinema. Pisces is the fantasy, the imagination, and it's in her 10th house of career. So when I saw that, I, I was reading actually about how um, for Freaky Friday, she was, her character was supposed to be a goth. Oh, I, but I read that too. <laughs> did you read this? That, that, uh, and then yeah. she, she told the costume director, like, no, the character needs to dress like this because it is 2006 and I am this girl. And like, you know, that is the look. And like yeah. when girlies saw Freaky Friday, they were like, okay, I want to look like her. And she also with freaky friday i didn't know this but for freaky friday learned how to play guitar and sing you know mm -hmm. and that mm -hmm. to me is this piscean in the 10th house of career uh and this pisces is by the way supported by her moon and her mars so we just know that there's a lot of and it's in a square with her uranus so all of that's very <laughs> overcomplicated. but that jupiter and pisces to me really feels like 
there is this ability to be very present in the kind of cinematic artistic mm. output. I really don't think she's just an actress. I think she's actually at her purest, at least is really able to be like, Oh, I actually know how this movie's going to hit. And like, which I think is what goes on in the parent trap where even as a child, she's like on an instinctual level, <laughs> I am going to take this to the next level. You know? Yeah. Her instincts are spot on. I mean, going back to the outfit of freaky Friday, that's how girls are dressing again at this point. And that is <laughs> the trickle down of Lindsay. Um, also, I was reading because you mentioned how she just is so present and maybe you read this too. I I'm pulling from Wikipedia here, but Meryl Streep. And I just learned this minutes before joining you on this call that there is a film out there starring Meryl Streep and Lily Tomlin and Lindsay Lohan. And this film is not a flop. It has an 86% on Rotten Tomatoes. And Meryl is quoted on Wikipedia. I, I don't have it right here, but she says something like Lindsay lives so honestly on camera. She's completely alive and present and Meryl praised her acting. So uh, she, yeah. Um, Streep, this is it. Streep said of Lohan's acting she's in command of the art form and completely visibly living in front of the camera Fuck. <laughs> like you can't Whoa. beat that you cannot beat that also the photo are you aware of it obviously no. we're on a an audio medium so listeners we're talking about able... prairie home companion by the way we're talking about prairie home companion but there's a, a photo in w magazine of Lindsay and Meryl holding their heads, each other's chins. And it is absolutely striking. <laughs> and I think it might be from the same piece where Meryl says those glowing words. And it's just that photo has left a huge impact on me, kind of bridging yeah. two worlds. So, you know, Lindsay Lohan has her Venus and her Mercury in Leo, mm. Mm. you know, so you get it. The lion um, roars. The lion and also the Venus in Leo and Mercury in Leo are very uh, natural, especially because her Venus is in her third house of self-expression. So in terms of just being a natural, and she also has her son in the first house. So you know, if you think about the first house as the start of your chart, it's like you, when you're born with your son right there, your son is your vitality, it's your radiance. So I think being in front of a screen, shining, radiating, really is the gift she kind of came with. Mm. Um, to me, the complications, there's a lot of complications. Yes. Venus is in a square with her moon. The moon represents what you need. And Venus is very much about how you're seen, your kind of beauty and your artistry. And that square, I have a Venus moon opposition. I think there's already a bit of a conflict between how she's received and what she kind of puts out to the world. 
and her individual needs. You know, a moon in Taurus really prioritizes um, being patronized, being taken care of, being supported, and uh, living a kind of, um, I don't want to say indulgent, but an abundant life lifestyle. Uh -huh. She's a sun in Cancer. What is Cancer's primary directive? Security. So to me, there's a, already a, a conflict, which is like, we have these Leo elements, which is like, okay, you're kind of meant to just be seen and you're meant to be in the public eye. Her moon is in the 11th house of like a, a bigger network. So we know she's meant to be in the public eye. Her son is very much, you know, she started acting at three. So we're, we're, you know, she, she was born with charisma and they just kind of threw her out there. Yeah. But it goes against, I think, a lot of what her moon needs, which is, and her cancer needs, which is like, I need to feel taken care of, you know? And is that taken care of by someone else or by herself is my question there. I gotta tell you. Okay. This is a big, a big thing that I think is hard for her. Uh -huh. Her son is in an opposition. So it's in a challenge oh, okay. with Neptune. Neptune is in the seventh house of intimate partnerships in Capricorn. What does that mean? You and I are in the Neptune and Capricorn generation. Mm. Neptune is a fantasy. And Neptune in Capricorn is basically the matrix that George Bush put us in, which is basically if Fuck you do guy. certain things right, you'll get certain rewards. And when Neptune is in a person's seventh house in Capricorn, there's a bit of an idea of, I can kind of have my happy ending with someone and they will support me and have my needs met, but it's opposing her son. And when your son is opposing Neptune, we get that crash of disillusionment. We get that crash of the kind of, you realize that, that, a lot of this has been a lie that's been sold to you. Mm. And I really think for her, she's someone whose son is right at the beginning of her chart. So we know that she's been kind of selling her vitality and her radiance since childhood. Since day one. And I, exactly. And I think what happened was at some point a disillusionment happens where you realize like, why am I doing this? Who am I doing this for? What am I getting out of this? And like, when am I, I think there is a fundamental need to be supported and sustained by someone else. And it wasn't going to happen, you know? No, that's, it just makes me wonder when, if and when, but I think ultimately when she found that disillusionment, I mean, obviously it probably happened over time, but you have to wonder at what point in this career she realized that she no one was really looking out for her mm. and and she like her moon being in Taurus her her vital need is to be taken care of and when she I wonder if there was an epiphany of realizing that no one was taking care of her I feel really bad and sad for Lindsay Lohan Lindsay D as it were because it's not fair what has been done to such a extraordinary talent well you know she her saturn saturn 
went in her, she had her Saturn square. So your, your Saturn return, um, is, which I think I'm in at the moment. Your Saturn return. I think I'm re- having my Saturn return. Yeah. Okay. I cannot wait. Your I, I, I really... do kind of need to say some things about my chart. Cause I just looked at it before this yes. and it looks so different from Lindsay's. Okay. Tell me. So, but <laughs> no, no, keep going with what you were saying about uh, her. Saturn. You know, Saturn was in Virgo in 2000, 2007 through 2009. Um, and that was when it was hitting her fourth house of uh, home and foundation. And that's when she started speaking about the abuse from her parents. Mm-hmm. Um, when I look at her chart, you know, her Mercury, which rules her chart, it rules her fourth house of home and it rules her 12th house of kind of personal history. And it's in her second house of earnings. So I'm already like, okay, there's some pressure here. And (laughs) Jupiter in her 10th house of career is ruling her sixth house of the body. That placement usually indicates a tremendous desire to work hard to change one's circumstances. And that's interesting. Yeah. Um, There just seems to be, and you know, her Mercury, which rules her chart is squared by her Pluto in the fifth house of of motherhood. And and Pluto's in Scorpio, like I said, Pluto and Scorpio, very much about familial abuse, control dynamics, gaslighting. This really is the chart of someone who has a lot of pressure on them. And I think it's pressure from the family unit to, you know, her Mars is in the eighth house of family inheritance. That's her... So a lot of her drive is directed, a lot of her drive and her self, her, her, her um, self-expression is directed towards changing the family circumstances and lifting the family up. And like we've established, she actually is someone who needs to be supported, who needs to be patronized. So we're already coming into like a really thematic archetypal complex, which is like, you have this actress show pony in the tradition of like Judy Garland, who actually is like, oh, I actually need to be loved and nurtured. I'm a cancer. Like, I need to know that I'm being taken care of, you know? She is a Judy Garland type. That That's such a great comparison. To go back to what you said about her feeling like she has to work to fix things and to uplift the rest of her family one obviously she had to do that and two i just think about like all the times i was rooting so hard for the reviews and the rotten tomatoes score to be good on her many comebacks i'm thinking specifically of well there was liz and dick which Mm -hmm. i never saw but she played elizabeth taylor and um, I recently watched Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf for the first time. Oh my God, Hilton, I just saw it for the first time. Wait, really? When? I saw it two weeks ago. Like, actually? <laughs> <laughs> and it blew my mind. And it's yeah. incredible. I mean, we, we can get into that. But Lindsay yeah. was supposed to play Elizabeth Taylor who is this powerhouse and and she did play her. I, I haven't seen, but I hear it didn't go great. And then, so I was rooting for her then. And then I was also rooting her 
rooting for her with the canyons where she was opposite a porn star james dean with two e's Mm -hmm. elliot with two t's (laughs) and um yeah i guess my point really is just i remember so vividly rooting for those two movies specifically i never saw either but i I did read that they were panned and now I feel kind of guilty. I didn't watch them to give her a fair shot. Well, I didn't see Liz and Dick. I do want to say that I did see the canyons. Okay. The movie is bad, but I will say, okay. I do think that she is spectacular. I think she is like, she is (laughs) like, I think the movie is a fucking mess. I'm really going to cry. She is in the tragedy and this to me is very much very her cancer son which is like i do think she really gives it her all one way or another and what is she playing a porn star no she's playing like an la drug abusing yeah something something Uh and there's just this there's a lot of these scenes where she does this thing of like i know that i'm in I'm I know that I'm locked in the tower and I'm trying to get out like emotionally uh-huh. like you you can see that she's like this character but also the narrative of my life is like I know that I am stuck in hell and I'm trying to break out it's like oh my you know, god I mean that yeah. honestly reminds me of Virginia Woolf the way yes. you're putting it I mean yes. the idea of a woman so consumed with rage and alcohol and trapped in this literally trapped in this house i i'm just i'm you know i'm drawing parallels between those two films as we speak Mm. in my mind and i think she could be an elizabeth taylor in the end i still see that for her well she is similar to elizabeth taylor and to winona Ryder, and this is what i'm i really want to hear about like what you feel about this but like i just feel like generationally there will be these stars where they're embraced and adored and then for whatever reason there's like the betrayal and Mm -hmm. with elizabeth taylor a lot of it had to do with her weight with winona it was about the shoplifting which is bullshit and then with lindsay exactly and then with lindsay it was that she was a bad girl and a party girl and i don't know i I, it's just it's surreal because i want to think that like the so the cultural dynamic has changed but there lindsay's lilith is so yeah it just it It i don't really understand what she was punished for you know so first of all, who hasn't stolen a necklace? And that's just like Winona should be up with Meryl right now yes. on some stage, you know, on a panel. Yes. And Lindsay, <laughs> <laughs> Lindsay should. Okay. All the best girls are party girls. I'm sorry. You can be a party girl and still show up to work. Now, of course, Lindsay unfortunately has not always shown up to work. And I, I did watch the Oprah <laughs> series live as that aired and that okay. was really sad and there's a lot of tragedy to, to we yeah. we don't even need to really unpack that but she was punished for being a party girl she was part punished for her addictions and you know if we were in a different society 
she could have healed. And, but because of, you know, I don't think anyone is really letting her heal. I don't know. I mean, who knows? I, it's hard to say like, to really give I don't know. one you group know, the blame, but. Yeah. I, 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 when I look at someone like Zendaya or even Ariana, I do want to uh -huh. say like, as Disney channel girls, I do think they were very savvy of knowing like, okay, if I'm going to make this transition, I'm going to have to be really running the show. Yeah. And I don't know that that was available to her in terms of the industry and in terms of the weight of her family. Yeah. And I think that she really was like in this very Judy Garland, Shirley Temple thing of like, I better just go and sing for my supper. And I think, you know, I would like to think that in the world we're in now, maybe she could have had more agency, but I don't know. I think she really represents this, this version of Hollywood, which is like, send this send the little girl to hollywood and like you know she's a cancer son in her first house mm. and that cancer son opposing neptune there's just this idea neptune's in capricorn capricorn is all about um money control and uh like okay having every uh, being able to provide and cancer is all about nourishment and there's just this idea of like Lindsay is going to go and give and give and give, and that is going to secure what the family needs. It's going to secure her future. It's going to secure her career. And I think what that opposition did was say, like, that's not really what's going to happen here. And I think, like, she kind of lives a lot of her her Lilith in the in the 12th house to me is very much her in the ruins of that and her being mm, like, I have canyons. to kind of go find in the canyons. And I think... <laughs> A lot of what her career reclamation will be, will be, and I'm curious what you think about this, but, you know, Jupiter is uh, moving into Pisces. Jupiter's currently in Pisces this summer, and Jupiter will be in Pisces next year. She was born with Jupiter in Pisces. Okay. House, so that sounds house. promising for her. It's very promising. And, you know, in 2023-ish, Saturn's going to move into Pisces. So we know that in her career house she's due for um a restructuring and a reclamation oh thank fucking god i'm curious what you could see that looking like yeah you know? well you look at her wikipedia and there's rumors of a potential album on the way some potential movies named and unnamed um but i think if you're asking what i would like to see which even if you aren't, I think that's an interesting question. I think she should be, I mean, I, okay. So I was just listening to the Michelle Pfeiffer episode of yours. And before that, the Kirsten Dunst. And so oh my God. Um, I think both of them are really fascinating to hold up to Lindsay, specifically Michelle, because um, I think it was Ruby who was talking on your on that episode about yeah. how Michelle has this wildness to her and Glenn Close, her Dangerous Liaisons co-star on the other end of the spectrum has this very controlled temperament. Yes. And you kind of see two different sides of a coin there. And with Lindsay, you, she has both of those things. Yes. And we've said, <laughs> we've said, that, I mean, 
I don't know that she's classically trained, but she can do the straight man and she's done it to acclaim in things like Mean Girls. While at the same time, in Mean Girls, for instance, like when she vomits onto Aaron Samuel's lap and cock, uh, she has the wildness too. And so I'm just thinking, I want to see her with a director who will really believe and trust and use her talents. And so I mean, <laughs> the people that were being suggested for Michelle Pfeiffer, I think kind of apply to Lindsay. And so I think a Lars von Trier could work. I also think a Sofia Coppola project would be incredible for Lindsay. I think that just kind of writes itself. Um, I love what you're saying because, you know, Lindsay Lohan is a Gemini rising. Mm -hmm. Gemini is all about versatility. And we know that, you know, she wrote a lot of the songs on her albums. Like I said earlier, she, when the role called for it for Freaky Friday, she was like, okay, I'll learn how to sing and I'll learn guitar. Done. Yeah. She is a Jupiter in Pisces and she has Uranus in Sagittarius. Gemini, Pisces, Sagittarius, and Virgo are the mutable signs, which uh -huh. means that they're very much able to adjust and adapt uh and go with what's going on you know uranus in sagittarius in her sixth house of work uranus is the planet of youth culture and sagittarius is very much about pushing the needle forward it's very experimental that to me is very much her saying to the freaky friday people i'm gonna wear this you know and then this pisces this jupiter and pisces in her 10th house of career pisces is this cinematic um uh Liqu liquidity, you know, liquidity. and I, I really think that what you were saying earlier about her being a character actress yeah, and her being given opportunities to say, okay, I am no longer a child star who's like doing this whole narrative and I'm no longer a paparazzi like party girl. I am an artist and I am very versatile and I need you to just throw me into shit might be the answer, you know? I could see her, I don't know why this is coming to mind, but okay. like what Joan Cusack can do of oh. being like, I'm going to be Debbie in the oh Addams Family Values and be <laughs> an icon, but I'm also going to play these very like small supporting roles where like in the perks yeah. of being the wallflower, I'm the therapist, you know? Oh my God, I forgot she's in that. But yes. I, yeah. You know? Well, okay. I don't Joan know. Joan Cusack is huge. And I just mm -hmm. watched her, I can't remember if she was nominated or won for this, but I think nominated. Um, it's called like In and Out or something with Kevin Klein. Oh, I this, never like, saw it. I just watched it because I, I heard about it on a podcast and I heard it was a Joan Cusack Oscar nom. And so I felt compelled. I mean, the movie as a whole, not really for me, but the end is pretty dated. But she gives... Joan gives one of the great performances ever. She's yeah. like this oh tragic, God. this like tragic bride <laughs> engaged to this gay guy. And, and yeah, Lindsay can do that. Cause it, what is so great about that is the extreme tragedy and pain mixed so completely with it's fucking funny and hilarious. Right. right. Yeah, Lindsay needs to do that. And I'm trying I'm trying to think of the right like director or screenwriter that would really be the right person to 
pair her with. But I just think something where she plays a character who's really in tragic circumstances and is really unhinged, but it's also really funny, almost like maybe like a Mike White. Like I'm thinking of yes, um, actually, yes, Laura Dern in Enlightened. I think yes. Lindsay could be ready for a filmic thing in that world almost i love that and yeah i could also see like paul feig who did uh uh-huh. like bridesmaids and spy and yeah Speed. like i could see her giving her like a villain part because you know when she did scary movie three she was like listen america i'm in on the joke <laughs> and of course no one got that I-, I think she's truly for like 15 years now been like I am self-aware. Yeah, but no one wants her to be. That's the thing. No one wants her to, no one wants the joke to be on them, ultimately. Mm. And so, like, if she's aware, I don't know, then isn't the joke Mm. kind of on all of us assholes who tried to say whatever we have said about her? Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? That like, is absolutely the curse of the Gemini is when you realize that everything Azalea Banks has said is kind of true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that is what, when <laughs> you're like, oh almost. shit, why did I so cancel her? Things. Yeah, most no, things. I love Azalea. She said some really bad things, but I, 212 is the front runner for Song of Summer. I have to say that. Ooh. You know, like I think because of the pandemic and all of that, like, any song from any year is eligible for Song of Summer yeah. in my books. And 212 and Together Again by Janet Jackson are neck and neck mm. at this point. And mm. Replay off of Chromatica. I don't know if you're a little monster. I don't know that about you. Uh, replay, a uh, friend of the pod, Melissa Rich, did point out that Replay is the secret slay of the album because <laughs> Replay has an incredible bridge. That's what it she has a pointed bridge. out. It has and a bridge. And you know, uh, the first time I saw Charlene perform when she came back to New York after a bit of a break over the pandemic, uh-huh. she did replay. And I thought of all the wow. songs on Chromatica, right? Replay. But now I'm like, oh, I'm so gone. jealous. I wish I had seen that perform. I just saw Charlene perform in Prospect Park at this little rave, right. as it were. Yeah. Were right. you there? That is the first one that I have missed. Okay. Yeah. Shoot. I know, but uh, it, life-changing, right? Yeah, it was incredible. Yeah, I don't know what is, song it was, though. I wasn't familiar. Uh, Charlene, who famously, on episode one of this podcast, is guest number one. Um, Are you... What? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. It's like, oh my I will God, take that to my incredible. grave. Incredible! Um, wow, that's going her, in your her. obituary. <laughs> yeah, love her with all my heart. So, yeah, I think... I think Lindsay, I, I do think she's she she is due for a big reclamation. Yes. Um, and it sounds like it's coming based on the stars. Listen, what shape it takes, I can't say. We know that Uranus, um, okay. you know. I pronounce it slightly differently, I will say. Classically. Okay. Um, <laughs> Uranus... <laughs> takes about 84 years to move through a person's chart. And when you're in your like early forties, you have what's called your Uranus opposition, which is where Uranus makes a 180 degree kind of uh, uh, move. It's made, it's made it halfway through your chart. So 
it's kind of like a halfway point and a turning point, which is why a lot of people in their 40s either have a midlife crisis, men, or mm -hmm. a lot of people in their 40s, more often women, have like a reclamation, you know? Mm -hmm. Her Uranus opposition will be in Gemini and it will be in her 12th house, which means to say, I think there's a lot of closure about what she's been through, what she was put through, and her personal history that gets to be um, unleashed, awakened, set ablaze, and kind of uh, completed, hopefully. Mm. Um, which, so I think that her her this period, her mid to late 30s, and then her 40s will be interesting one way or another. Um, and, you know, I, of course, am rooting for her. Of course, of course. I'm just having this crazy thought in my head. And because she's a natural redhead, I think is really the, the only reason this <laughs> is coming to me. But um, there's this other actress. I'm just thinking, because I was just thinking, what if there was a movie or show or something about Lindsay that Lindsay wasn't maybe acting in, but was part of the production side of things and someone else was playing her. I don't know. Mm. I'm not even saying I want this. I'm just amusing. But there's another redheaded actress that I have recently fallen deeply for. Her name oh, is wow. Jessie Buckley. Okay. I don't know if you're familiar. She's in this movie called Wild Rose and she sings, she's like Scottish. Oh, and she's, she's also, she's gorgeous. She's really good at singing and she's really good at acting. She was in the Charlie oh. Kaufman movie um, that came out in the fall. I can really see the the, the Lindsay presence. I could here. see her playing Lindsay and it could be great. And maybe Lindsay like helps with the screenplay. I think I read somewhere that Lindsay was working on a screenplay. Honestly, that could be exciting. That could be really great in terms of, of Lindsay's mutability of being able to work other gifts and work that versatility without having to put her first house son on the line. I think yeah. that her stepping into that sort of a role, I mean, which is what Paris Hilton ultimately did where Paris Hilton was like, I'm going to be running the show, but like a lot of it's going to be more behind the scenes and you won't even realize it until yeah. I've like turned it off. Paris has figured it out completely. I hope that Lindsay can kind of do what Paris has done. And I think she's working towards that. Well, Paris Hilton is the great satirist of our time, you know? Absolutely. I mean, my namesake in a sense. I mean, obviously that's her mm. last name. And I've been explaining this to people since birth that that's her last name and that's my first name. <laughs> and so we're not related. But, Similar to yeah. Miranda on Sex and the City naming her son Brady after <laughs> Her husband, her, Brady, her Brady. not husband. Yeah, there's just that kind of. Not everyone for knows you. about that. That's the sick part. Not everyone <laughs> knows that Brady is Brady Brady in some circles. Although I think he uses her last name in the reboot. I hope so. Um, <laughs> yeah, I really hope so. Okay. So I'm just curious if you have any closing thoughts on Lindsay or on the uh, archetype of the. Of the millennial adolescent okay well here, here's i have a few things one is that um in regards to Lindsay's chart and thinking of my own chart which are two very different charts 
but we both have Taurus in there. Mine mm. is a Taurus rising. Hers, I believe she has a- Is the moon. Is the moon, yeah. yeah. And so I'm, you know, I'm really just kind of comparing that out loud and finding the similarity. Other than that, we're completely different. My chart is all like pinched into one tiny corner of this circle where hers is kind of, I'm guessing most people's is pretty spread around the circle. Um, anyway, so that's one thought. The other thought is to go back to the Oscars and uh, I just think it's funny listening to your past episodes <laughs> because I completely agree. I, I love the Oscars and obviously they're super fucked and problematic and awarding the wrong people. And the whole cycle is stupid. I still, you know, can hold that in one hand and appreciate the glitz of it in another, same, but same. I, I, but specifically your loathing for the Alicia Vikander win, I think is really <laughs> <laughs> funny because I've not seen the Danish girl, but yeah, like what the fuck, why does she have an Oscar? But Lindsay Lohan, Michelle Pfeiffer, Kirsten Dunst don't like, right, fuck, right. fuck this world. Right. And I, I have gone <laughs> on this rant so many times. But I, know. Like, I know. There is a kind of ingenue that Hollywood and the industry really goes for. Yeah. Um, of course, it is impossible to sustain. Like Jennifer Lawrence was like, I'm not doing this anymore. Yeah. Um, Emma Stone does it very well. Here's um, what I, I want to jump in. I, I yeah. do want to say this is a controversial opinion i think but i actually really liked la la land i mean moonlight deserved the oscar over it of course but like i'm i'm kind of happy with her getting that for la la so i enjoyed la la land too but what i mean to say is i think she is very good at knowing how to play by the numbers that are being mm. given and mm. she's very good at knowing how the the system works and I think that's a strength for someone like Emma Stone. Sure. I think for someone like Lindsay Lohan, she's like, I don't want to play this game because you're always going to change the rules midway through and fuck me over. And she's a cancer son. She has an open heart. And I think that there's this aspect of like this Disney Channel Hollywood ingenue factory, which she's kind of like a paragon of, which she then was like, oh, wait, like, this isn't, you know, it's not actually who she is as an artist. That's not me, yeah. Yeah. Um, to me, the issue, my issue with a lot of this kind of ingenue factory is that it's a certain kind of girl with a certain kind of look and a certain yes. um, set of behaviors which make her wholesome, appearing, and endearing. And desirable and to be awarded by the Oscars. The Oscars and um, like the cosmetics industry, like, yeah, of course. you know, Chanel. and I think Lindsay couldn't really play that. Yeah. Game. And, and I think the best artists, like that's a different skills to play. The game is one yeah. skill set to be an actress is a completely different set of skills. And I think most of the best actresses in my estimation are not good at playing the game. Right. Now there are a few crossovers where I think the the people who have been awarded also happen to be great actresses. Meryl comes to mind, but um, 
yeah, it's fucked and it shouldn't be that way. Yeah, I just think the baggage of her cancerdom of like, I'm doing this to give, I'm doing this for the family, didn't allow for the choice to be a character actress. And I just hope that that's possible. Um, and and to do just really like bizarre, interesting things. Um, okay, Hilton. Yeah. Where can people follow you and become your, your disciple, your <laughs> acolyte, you know, your, your, your chosen? Sure. Um, okay. You can subscribe to my newsletter, which is called Babbling On at hiltondresden.substack.com. Or you can follow me at Hilti Hilt Hilt. And that's, yeah, that's where you can find me. <sighs> that's basically all that you can find I me love at. love it. Yeah. Um, I am so grateful that you suggested Lindsay and it worked out that she's a cancer. Um, and I'm just grateful for your whole point of view. So thank you for being here. Um, uh, likewise, I'm so flattered and honored yeah, to have a been a part of this. Um, okay, moi. The Luminaries is made with love in New York City. Art by Greg Kozatek and music by Henry Kapersky. Thank you so much for listening. I would so, so, so appreciate if you could leave a review, a five-star rating, etc., etc., on iTunes. I don't know if you can rate things on Spotify, but you get the idea. Tell your friends. You know where to find me. I will see you next Tuesday with all my love, David Odyssey.